0: Now, this this morning, I was in there uh, delivering something to Joe. But while I was in there, Miss Joy was getting some donuts. And she wanted to shake my hand. She said, well, I can't shake your hand. I've got sticky fingers. I said, oh, well, I better get a hand on my wallet. And then she gave me a hug. And well, later on that evening, you know, that afternoon, she wore it. She said, oh, you don't have to worry about your wallet anymore. And I don't have sticky fingers. And so I was giving Joy a hard time this morning giving her a hug because she was eating some donut holes, I think. But uh, we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 2. Nehemiah chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 1 through 10. And what I'm going to read before we pray is I'm going to read verse 4 and 5 of Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. I'm going to read that. If you'd like to stand for the reading of God's word, uh, please stand. Then the king said to me, What do you request? So I prayed to God of heaven, and I said to the king, If it pleases the king, if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that your word would go forth and accomplish what you desire to do. Father, just help me to be honest to the text as I can, as clear as I can, and may your spirit move and stir our hearts to understanding, inspiration, and and application. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. As, I, as I've told you, the, 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 this series will be the whole book of Nehemiah, but it's going to be called United We Stand, Divided We Fall. Because this whole book is about one man that God used, as we said, had a care for God's people and God's glory. And he trusted. And, and at that last time we saw, he prayed, Lord, just be with me when I'm before this king next. And here we are in a text this morning in chapter or this evening in chapter two. And here's Nehemiah about three months later. He's the cupbearer all of a sudden again. And now he has this opportunity before the king, the king that he's serving, the king that, remember, trust him because he's a a cupbearer. That means that if the king's going to eat or drink, he's got to test it first. And you've got to be a pretty trusted confidant to uh, be part of that. Otherwise, you could be part of a conspiracy or a plot to. uh, Uh, kill kill the king and he had prayed there in chapter 1 show me favor God with this man because he was a pagan king he might have understand the Jews I don't know all the history there but he definitely knew Nehemiah was a Jewish man and he was there in exile there in captivity I say captivity and here in chapter 2 Nehemiah is now going to be sent for God's people he's going to be sent for God's people And in verse 1 through 3, we're going to see that God provides opportunity for Nehemiah. He had prayed in chapter 1 three months earlier. Give me an opportunity, God, because he heard and and cared about God's people and glory. Give me an opportunity, God. Here's what he was praying. Show me favor. Verse 1 through 3, God provides opportunity for Nehemiah. Look at verse 1 through 3 with me. And it came to pass in the month of Nisan... And by the way, if it had two S's, it'd be Nisan, wouldn't it? But I think It may be pronounced Nisan. Um, and it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Ataxerius, when wine was before him, and I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now, I had never been sad in his presence before. This is like a narrative that, that Nehemiah is making some memoirs, Remember? And therefore, Ezra's going to be writing it, because this could be called Ezra 2, verse 2. Therefore, the king said to me, that is, when he was in his presence with a sad face. Therefore, the king said to me, why is your face sad, since you are not sick? This is nothing but sorrow of heart. So I became dreadfully afraid and said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs lie waste and its gates are burned with fire? Now you just put yourself and put myself in Nehemiah's place. He's cupbearer for the king. He's got some kind of countenance that he's never had before the king before. And, of course, this is the kind of king that might say, hmm, could be a conspiracy here, something going on here, maybe trying to hide something and just off with his head. But this king trusted him enough that in this opportunity, in God's timing, God puts Nehemiah at the right place. And when he's at that right place, at the right time, three months later, four months later, after he had originally prayed that prayer, finding out what was going on with God's people that were in exile, that were captivity and how the walls were tore down and they no longer had a place in Jerusalem to worship God, God puts him in this right place before the king. And as, as the timing of God would work to put him in that right place, God began to move and put Nehemiah before the right people, that is the king, the person that could help him with this, this concern that he has about God's people. And then he led Nehemiah and put Nehemiah in a position where he could speak the right words. So in this setting, as Nehemiah is going to be sent for God's people, God provides an opportunity for Nehemiah to be patient, number one, because it took about three months, and he had to wait. It was his turn to be cupbearer for the right opportunity. He was patient, waiting on God. He didn't rush in there and say, hey, can you swap, you know, uh, swap shifts with me or anything? He just waited for his turn to come up. He had prayed three months earlier. God show me favor. Because he knows this is the king and he's just a cupbearer, even though he's trusted. He waited patiently on God. And then he took courage and he trusted God and he showed up with a sad face. On purpose, I believe, to try to get the king's attention. He showed courage and trusted God with that sad face. He waited on God and showed patience. And then when he was spoken to, he spoke the truth. And he spoke the truth for God's sake. It wasn't for Nehemiah's sake. Because remember the whole idea why Nehemiah even wants to speak to the king about this is why. Because he's concerned about God's people and therefore God's glory. He spoke the truth that God gave him. And he says, well, why wouldn't I be sad? My people's place is laid waste. The gates are burned down. The place where my father's tombs are at, where my people are buried. It's laid waste. Why wouldn't I be sad king? Now, that's, that's pretty brave. when I mean, You're talking to anybody that's a king, let alone a pagan king. But God provided this opportunity for Nehemiah to be in the right place, around the right person, to say the right words that were truthful. And he was patiently waiting for this opportunity. What do we learn from that? Well, there are times in your life and in my life We engage people. And one of the things I've learned as a hospice chaplain is uh, when I was a hospice chaplain, even as a pastor over the years, I don't walk into a house with this Bible ready to, you know, shoot you down with a bunch of machine gun verses, right? And I'm going to tell you why. When I pastored in Kentucky, I'd only been there about nine months, and I was driving my older son in our car from the Parsons, we was headed to another church that had like an upward basketball program. And on that, that Tuesday night, I was the coach of about 20 boys. Well, Boy, it was like a three-ring circus with me. And then there was other coaches of 20 boys. But We were driving our way, and it wasn't quite dark yet. And as I drove by one house, it was across the street from Advanced Baptist Church where I was at. And that's opposed to the Unadvanced Baptist Church down the street. No, they, they advanced a quarter mile after revival back in 1896. But we were going by, and I thought I saw flames behind the house. I thought, well, people could be burning trash out here in the basket Kentucky. I don't know. So for some reason, I stopped. I backed up, and I pulled that driveway. I knew the couple that lived there. They they lived right across the street. They didn't come to visit me and Doug. My friend Doug would go visit them about every Monday to see if they would like to go to church, if they needed anything, just minister prayer with them and, and everything. And they were believers, but they just didn't have any church they were connected to. So I pulled in the driveway, and I sat there for a while, and, and all of a sudden I really saw some, you could really see, you know, like the glow. So I said, Josh, stay right here. And I put it in park. I ran back, and that whole back porch was just in fire. Well, Basket, Kentucky had a volunteer fire department. <clears throat> but I didn't have a cell phone back then. I had, a little, I had a little pager that one of the members gave me. And I knew when Karen would call me because I would have her dial 8055, which means boss, right? 8055 as boss on your pager. So I knew to call my wife. So I jumped back in the car. And I think we had, I think I had a 96 uh, town car, wasn't it? Yeah, I had a 96 town car. Well, I looked like, you know, Joe Cannon and everything. I shot back to the Parsons. I'm on the phone and calling the fire department. By the time the fire department got there, someone else had already called it in. But my point is about the timing of everything. We had already visited this couple. We knew they knew the Lord but their house was engulfed in flames. The whole back of the house was gone. So I sat there with that family as they watched their house. Just, and unfortunately, they were all gone. They were doing some events. They were all gone, praise the Lord. No animals, nothing like that. But half their house just went up in flames And by the time they got it out. And I sat there, and one of my deacons was with me. I had a deacon named Dan. We called him Dan Dan the milkman because I guess he used to be the milkman in that little town back when there was a milk route. And he said, Pastor, he said, now's the time to tell him to come to church. I said, no, it's not. He looked at me. Well, it is too. Well, he went over there to try to invite him to church right after they half their house burned down, right? And they just kind of looked at him like, you know, like deer in headlights. I went over there and I said, hey, do you all have any family around here to stay with tonight? Do the kids need clothes? Then another member come over there because everybody was there in town, a little town of 700. And that's what our church was able to do, get them some clothes that they might need because it was a little cold. One of our members was able to keep them at the house because there wasn't no you know, Red Cross or anything, right? Now, within a month, their house was getting rebuilt and everything. They found a place to land. But within two months, you know what they did? They came to church. You know why? Because we... The timing wasn't right to say, now you need to go to church. I was like, well, we care about you. And so that whole month or two, we were feeding them food or whatever it took. Timing. 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 And Nehemiah took his time. He waited on God. He waited for the right opportunity. And it was during that time that they came forward to join the church. And we reaffirmed their faith in Christ. And we talked to them about things. What else they might need as their house being rebuilt and everything, because they didn't have insurance. It was paid for. They didn't have any insurance. And our church dipped in here, dipped in there, but you had to be patient. I learned that in that little town of Basket because everybody knew everybody in a little town of 700. And I'm the little Okie that has an accent coming into Kentucky. Trust me, they have an accent too, you know. If there's a fire, they don't say, they say, there's a fire. You know, that's a fire, you know. So they had an accent, but you had to be patient, and Nehemiah waited for the right opportunity. He, and when he waited for the opportunity, then he could be courageous and trust God and speak the truth to the king. Well, why wouldn't I be a sad king? My people are, in, are desolate. They're fallen under. God provides an, uh, an opportunity to Nehemiah. Verse 4 through 8. God not only provides an opportunity for Nehemiah, God provides resources for Nehemiah. Look at verse 4 through 8. After he told the king that, look at the king's response. God's definitely showing Nehemiah favor like he asked for, right? Then the king said to me, what do you request? In other words, what do you need? Now that I know why you're sad, what what do you need? So I prayed to God of heaven, prayed to the God of heaven. He said, oh, I didn't expect that. He probably wasn't expecting that. So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, in other words, if I've done a good job, and you respect me, and you know that I'm being honest with you, and I've been good to you, if you have any favor, if I have any favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. That's a pretty big task. Then the king said to me, the queen also sitting beside him, how long will your journey be? And when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and, set, and I set him a time. That means the king really respected Nehemiah. and wanted to know, when are you coming back? When's it going to be done? I want you to come back. Don't just leave me. Verse 7. Furthermore, I said to the king, because he said, what do you want, right? He said, not only do I want to go, and this is the time I'm going, he's going to tell him what he wants. God's going to provide some resources to a pagan king. Furthermore, I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me for the governors of the region beyond the river that they must permit me to pass through till I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he must give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel, which pertains to the temple where we worship, king, for the city wall and for the house that I will occupy. In other words, I've got to live in a house. And the king granted them to me according to the good hand of my God, Upon me. God provides an opportunity. Through patience. With courage. Telling the truth. And in that truth. The king says well then what do you need? What do you need? And God provides the resources. Nehemiah's first resource. Was his reputation. Because he says. If you have favor on me. This is what I need. His first resource was his own reputation before a pagan king. Reputation that he's a faithful cupbearer, that he's an honest cupbearer, there's no conspiracy behind him. His first resource was, is, okay, I'm fixing to ask you something. If you have any favor on me, if you really believe in my reputation, then please hear me out. His first resource to come before that king for what he needed was his reputation. His second resource Was he said, I need some documents. I need you to write a letter so that when I leave this palace where I'm the cupbearer, you know, and they know I'm under this king, that I can travel under your authority, your documents, that I'm supposed to be out of here so I don't get, you know, someone like try to say I'm AWOL or something like that. And give me some documents to get through there. And as you give me those, those documents based off my resource or my reputation, the third resource I need is some raw materials. Because I need another letter. And when I go through that forest, I'm going to have to choose out some timbers that only you can give me permission to get. So I can not only rebuild the walls like I'm asking you to, but I've got to have a place to live myself. His reputation preceded him. He already had a history with the king. And because his reputation already preceded him, when the king said, what do you want? He knew he could throw that reputation card and was, you know who I am. And if you have favor on me, then this is what I need. His reputation preceded him in his patience, in his courage in telling the truth. His reputation preceded him before the king. And when when he used the reputation card, for lack of words, then he says, I need some documents that will give me authority to do what I'm doing. I need some documents from you that give me authority. And as I receive those documents, I need some materials that I can use properly. So in this God providing the resources, said he said there, he said, this is my God. He says, right there, he says, and the king granted them to me according to the good hand of my God upon me. So once again, God provided the opportunity to even have this conversation. God provided the resources once the conversation got as to what he was going to need to carry out what God had put on his heart to do as a task for the, to restore the glory of God and the good of God's people. And he did it patiently, courageously, truthfully. He stood on his own reputation. He wasn't a perfect man. Do you think? I don't think Nehemiah was probably a perfect man, was he? But before that king, he could be trusted. He says, if you see any favor in me, this is what I need. I need your documents for authority, and I need some materials that I can use properly, not only for rebuilding the, what God has put on my heart for God's people and glory of God, but I've got to have a place to live. Then the third thing we see is God not only provides an opportunity for Nehemiah, and God not only provides resources for Nehemiah, God pr- provides protection for Nehemiah and you're going to notice here in a little bit that God's going to provide something that Nehemiah didn't even ask for but the king thought of look at verse 9 and 10 protection <clears throat> Get, turn my page then I went to the governors of the region beyond the river and gave them the king's letters now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me you see that protection all he asked for was documents and access to resources. And what did the king do? I almost sent some army with you. Captain's army. And it says, he, they went with me. And when Samballat and the Horonite and Tobiah, the Ammonite, official heard of it, they were deeply disturbed that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. We understand why God gave him an opportunity because that was his only, only opportunity to speak to a king that could help him, right? We see why he had to go to the king and God through the king would provide resources. But why did God provide protection? Nehemiah walks into the force and he presents his authority to be there. This is my paper from the king. I belong here. Nehemiah, Nehemiah benefits from his task being accompanied By a shared authority, those army, the soldiers, there for support. And Nehemiah, in the midst of all that, he disturbs his resistance in spite of his authority. In spite of the authority that God had given him to the king, and by the hand of God, there's still some that will be disturbed and they will resist in spite of what authority he has. God moved in that king's heart like he moves the waters of the rivers, Proverbs 21.1, and he moved in that king's heart to say, yes, here's the letters to say you can be there. Here's the letters to get your resources. And what Nehemiah didn't know until he took off, he was going to be accompanied by an army, some men, some horsemen to protect him. You know why? Number one, the king probably knows a lot about that territory, for one thing. And he knows maybe how some people may have some attitude about the children of Israel. I don't know. But I think more than anything, God just put on that king's heart, well, you know what? If I'm going to give him papers to say he's supposed to be there, and if I'm going to give him papers to get resources, I may as well send a, a little troop with him to take care of him. That's how much he thought of Nehemiah. That's the kind of reputation Nehemiah had. In his patience, he waited on God. In his courage, he trusted God. And in his truthfulness, he spoke for God. It is for God's people. It's for God's glory. His reputation preceded him to the king and the king says, I believe you are who you say you are. I believe you, what you say you mean. And in that reputation, he gave him the authority and all the resources he needed. Nehemiah kept his word. He went, presented the papers. Nehemiah found his support by the army that the king brought. And Nehemiah continues to pursue his purpose. Now listen, Nehemiah may be writing down that Sam Ballat and Tobiah didn't like this, but he's writing this down here in verse 10, probably hindsight, because he hasn't faced Sam Samballot and Tobiah yet. They are going to be the ones that will spread rumors as they're trying to rebuild the walls. They will be the ones that will Uh, bring threats as they try to rebuild the wall. They're the ones that will try to thwart what God is doing through Nehemiah. And we'll find out by the end of this book that they will not succeed in what God has chosen to do through Nehemiah and his people. So as we look at Nehemiah here, we begin to see some principles of just shoring up, building up, doing things for the glory of God, doing things for the good of... God's people doing things for the good of the community, for that matter, because if they were going to restore worship to one and only true God, guess what? Other people could come and worship that one and true God because they had Gentiles that would come and convert and worship that one and only true God. And we can take those same principles. We need to wait till God gives us an opportunity. Be patient with our opportunity. Sometimes it'll come in our back door and they'll sit back there on the back pew like a young couple, right? This morning. Other times it will be. Uh, you meet somebody, and maybe not right now is not the time to, to throw out the, the gospel. Maybe this time is to build a relationship, build some trust, build a reputation, build a bridge so that when you do plant that seed of the gospel, they, kinda, they, they believe you. They believe you're there for honest reasons. That they don't believe you're there just for getting more people in the church or more of this. You've got to be careful. You've got to be cautious. got to be patient. And when God opens that opportunity, we have to be courageous to just speak of what we've seen and heard and know to be true. That's what a testimony is. That's what a witness is. And as we have those opportunities, God will provide the resources. The resource might be people. Uh, matter of fact, today, when, when, we, when we met that new couple, everybody else was visiting them, right? And pretty soon, they're getting invited to Sunday school. Everybody sees, All the other resources are tapping in there, just making them feel welcome. We had someone come visit us uh, a couple of uh, last Sunday night, and and Jonathan and Luke came, and they came to Sunday school. They tapped into our resources. I told them they could come in here, they could stay in the men's class, but they tapped into the resources that we have here, people that care, people that want to love them, people that want to tell them the truth. We have resources. We have resources based off our reputation, resources based off this document, right? That's our document. That's our authority. And resources just off the materials, the materials of time we have, uh, your giftedness, my giftedness, your talent, your resources, whatever you have, that's how we're going to rebuild for the glory of God and the good of the church and the good of the community. And in that time, though, we need to know this, that as we have opportunity and take advantage of that opportunity with patience, as we use the resources we have and the, the document that we have that gives us the authority to do what we do Then we need to understand that that there may be some things out there that we don't know is out there yet they're disturbed in that other world remember we don't wrestle against flesh and blood there's another other world out there and you and I have a target so to speak but that's okay God's going to provide the guard God's going to provide what we need God's going to provide protection during that time if we're doing it for the glory of God and the good of God, God's people. And so God has a way of, in spite of a Samballot, a Tobiah, or whatever their name may be, or whatever group they could be, God has a way of taking care of his people. We've got to know that. We don't just sit there with a the target on the back going, Oh, what's it going to happen? Well, it, it could happen anytime. Because Satan is like a ravaging Seeking whom he may devour. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But he has the same strategy. He'll always plant doubt. He'll always divide. He'll always distort the truth. Distort the stories. His strategy hadn't changed. And he's always seeking to accuse the brethren, whether we're guilty or not, right? He's always doing that. That way he can divide. And I heard a story one time about a person that said that the devil had a garage sale devil was having a garage sale. Out in the garage sale, out there in the garage, the demons were putting alcohol and pornography and just everything out there that all the world just loves to just consume and everything. But over here in the corner, the door was just kind of cracked open the garage. The demon says, oh, let me get these for you. He goes, oh, no, 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 no. Those are my best tools. Those aren't for sale. Okay. So they go around selling the alcohol and the tobacco and the and the pornography and everything to everybody that wants it. Well, finally, one of the demons says, well, what do you have in that closet? He goes, oh, and there's what I have for Christians. He said, Christians won't fall for this and that. Or if they do, they're going to repent of it. And, you know, they'll get restored and, because God's changed their life. But these three tools over here in this closet, he said, if they're not careful, they'll fall for it every time. And The demon says, what are those tools? He said, division, doubt, discord. He said, oh, and depression. He said, I got all these tools in there. And, only, and Christians fall for those. Because they, they, won't, they won't get lost in those things. They, they do, like I said, they'll, they'll get delivered from it. Because God's got his hand on them. Listen, I don't know what's in that closet, what Sam Ballot and Tobias in that closet for, in store for us down the road. But I'm telling you, they're there. I don't know what they look like. I don't know how they'll show themselves. But as we begin to do something like we've been doing for the glory of God and the good of this church and the good of this community, listen, that just makes us enemy enemy number one to Satan. And and he'll use some of the tools I listed, but I don't know what's in that closet, but God does. God does, and that's okay, because we're going to take every opportunity God gives us We're going to live off our reputation and our resources and we're going to trust God for our protection because we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Nehemiah is sent for God's people. We know that because Samballot and Tobias says they were disturbed that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. Nehemiah was sent by that king, ultimately by the king, God himself. He was sent for God's people. He was sent with authority. He was sent with support. But he was also sent, and we've got to remember this, he was sent with a future resistance. There's always resistance. But you know what? That just makes us strong. My youngest son likes to work out with weights I might do a few push ups here and there. I might stretch out my legs. I'm getting too old. I don't like the gym, anyways. I never liked the gym, even when I played basketball or anything else. But he likes that gym because the more resistance, what? Whew, things just get pumped up. I was telling somebody the other day when he was walking down the hallway just before he went deployed, he didn't have his shirt on. He had got out of the shower, had on a pair of gym shorts. And I just, it just looked like a cobra walking down the hallway, you know, that V on his back because he's worked out that resistance to strengthen those muscles. And he said, when he went to camp Leminary, he says, there's a gym there, Dad. I'm going to use it. I'm going to work a 12-hour shift. I'm going to eat supper. I'm going to take a shower. I'm going to work out. He said, I'm 175. I'm going to be 200 pounds when I get back. I said, well, I eat plenty of protein, buddy. But you know, if you don't have resistance, you can't be strong. If you don't have any resistance, you get lazy, you get weak, you get tired. And we all know that as we get older, right? But the more you do resistance, whether it's stretch exercise or something, you get stronger. And listen. God has sent us into this community for God's glory, God's people, and this community that needs God through Jesus Christ. He has sent us with his authority, amen, going to all the world. He has sent us with moral support, our resources, our talents, our gifts. We're all here to support one another. But he sent somebody out there, some group, Something that's going to resist. And that's okay. That's going to make us stronger to get on our knees. That's going to make your pastor bolder to say this. It makes me strong. Every little church I've ever had, about six months, the Baptist standard hits the fan because the honeymoon's over. Now, I'm not saying that's going to happen in six months here. But Listen. When God's people are doing God's thing, the best they can with what information they have, right? Because we're not perfect. Satan's going to try to mess it up. And I'm telling you, he never wins. He never wins. He's here to, to devour, seek to devour. He'll divide, he'll distort. But listen, as God's people, we, like Nehemiah, in spite of not knowing yet about Sam Samballot and Tobiah, that were disturbed that he was there to help the children of Israel, in spite of that, we, like Nehemiah, are going to just endeavor to persevere, endeavor to pursue as Calvary Baptist Church. Our goal will be to glorify God, number one, as we glorify God, number one, we must ask God's sending, God send me, God send me, because this is God's task. Not Calvary's task. Did you know that? It is not our task to do. It is God sending us to do his task, his bidding, his way. Number two, as Calvary, if we're going to give God the glory, we're not only going to ask God to send us because it is his task, we are going to seek God's word for direction and instruction about our authority as God's people as we endeavor the community, as we minister to one another. And number three, we are going to pursue God's glory with courage, with discernment, knowing that the opposition is in the days ahead. The opposition, whatever that looks like. I don't know what Sanballat and Tobiah looks like for us, but it's just as common in Nehemiah's day as it was in Paul's day, if we go to the book of Acts, right? He had resistance. As we pray God's leading, as we push God's way forward, He will move our hearts in favor and reveal to hearts what they need to know. He will reveal to our hearts what we need to do, and anyone that resistance, anything that resistance, they will fail if we're pursuing for God's glory and our good, God's people's good. We need to be humble. We need to be courageous, and we need to be united around one thing, that we're here, we exist in this building as we congregate together to be equipped for ministry, for the glory of God, and the good of this church and the community. We've got to be united on that. We've got to be humble, courageous, united for what God wants us to have so that God is satisfied, so that God is pleased. Not Steve is pleased, not you is pleased, so that God is pleased. Because it is for his glory and our good. What is this? How would this be applied to a non-believer? Well, as a non-believer, their challenge tonight is to come to God. He's the only authority. They have to seek his favor like Nehemiah did with humility, trusting God. They need to seek God's favor through Jesus Christ. Because they'll never approach God unless they what? Come through Jesus Christ, right? Because He's the truth, the way, and the life. And no man comes to Father except through Him. Lost people, that's our message. Lost people can trust God like we can, but they must first come to Him through Jesus Christ. They must humble themselves and maybe do something courageous and say, I'm going to take a step of faith. And as they come to God, seeking His favor through Jesus Christ, He will set them free. And all of a sudden, they'll understand, okay. That's what they're doing, but they're in Christ. Now I'm in Christ. And these lost people will see us emulating humility, courage, unity, and faith in God for his glory. The nonbeliever must seek him, must seek him through Jesus Christ. The Bible says that to come to Christ, that is turning from your way and your guilt and turning your face to Christ, You're, you're repenting and believing. That's what a non-believer does. You know what, by the way? That's what a Christian ought to live as a lifestyle of repentance every day. I constantly have to turn from my fleshly ways and say, okay, God, what's your way? And sometimes I listen to this side a little bit too long, and I step over there, you know, and maybe he gets up that tool of discouragement or that that tool of uh, uh, down, getting down. Yet a brother tells a story about little Wren or something, just builds me up. Because all you were doing is just practicing a song because you loved the Lord. But little Wren heard something different. She heard that small, still voice tugging on that little heart, burying a seed deep down in that heart. That's what we have to do. Because listen, you're gonna you're gonna get deterred sometime, and I'm gonna get deterred, and we gotta we gotta be able to grab that shepherd's hook and pull us back. And be willing to go to our brother, go to our sister, if they've offended us or something's going on. Because you know what? Love sometimes confronts one another. Love sometimes says we need to sit down. You all know that. You've raised kids, right? You've had those conversations. They're tough conversations. You want to be their friend, but you know you can't be their friend until they learn how to be mom and dad and daughter and son. Well, we're a family. And as a family, we're going to have to be humble people, courageous people, and united people around one thing. This is for God's glory, not Calvary Baptist glory, not for Steve's glory. We'll keep track of the noses and nickels because we've got to pay bills. We want to know how many people's here and how to keep track of them, right? Those things are important, but that's not why we're building it. We're building it for the glory of God. And as we continue to do that in a, in a most open way and public way, and address it that way all the time. Listen, people are going to come in here and say, Wow, they're not about the noses and nickels. They're glad we're here, but they ain't about the noses and nickels. Looks like they pay their bills, looks like they pay attention to people, but that's over they're, they're here. They really wanna they wanna worship God. And if they're Christians, they say, I want to be a part of that. That's attractive. That will draw them in when they watch your reputation, my reputation, and as they see God provide an opportunity for us to engage them as he gives us the resources to do what he's asked us to do according to his task and if need be, he'll provide the protection for God's people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you tonight and Father, we thank you for these short 10 verses of Nehemiah but Father, we haven't even probably gleaned all that we could have But Father, we thank you for the story of Nehemiah, this narrative. He's just an Old Testament character who's living out New Testament theology of trusting you, being courageous, like like the Apostle Paul did, or Peter, or John, Jesus himself. And even Jesus in his ministry came across many times, probably controversial, but it's because he trusted you, he said what needed to be said. And Father, I just pray that you help us to be patient for the opportunity, to be courageous with what you put on our heart to say, and we'll trust you for the results. And whatever may come our way in resistance, Father, we will trust that you give us wisdom, discernment, protection, because, Father, we're doing this for your glory. So we ask that you do give us favor in our community. Wherever we may live, wherever we may go, give us favor. Help us to paint a good reputation before them that we're not perfect, but we are saved by the grace of God. And we only want them to have the same hope. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.